The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockwell Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Arnold Stricker with In Tune. We are having a fabulous time here. Let's not underestimate this. We were having such a great time, we almost missed. <laughs> we, had to, we had to quickly put our headphones back on. <laughs> oh, we always do that. It was like, wow. We always have a great time. That's <laughs> we why we know that the Facebook Live people, they're getting that behind the scenes thing that's going on here. <laughs> and so they get they get to hear a lot and see a lot. Now, for all of you who are on the, on the radio and you didn't get a chance to hear some of that behind the scenes, you can actually go to Radio 63119 Facebook page and catch that Facebook and you can watch us because I'm waving right now at everybody. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? That was a wave. I'll I'll give the... (laughs) The parade wave. This is the parade wave, yes. No, we have Jan Burmeister who has been telling us for the last hour about her unbelievable life that she has had and that life started here in St. Louis. She has worked for many presidents, really was... uh, a lot involved with uh, President George H.W. Bush's family as as the personal secretary of the family and giving correspondence out, et cetera, like that. And I had left the, the first hour, was reading a little bit about some life principles that uh, President Bush had written down. Life is an adventure. Develop and keep a genuine enthusiasm and zest for life. He also, I'm just going to highlight some of these, Jan, uh, and just kind of would, would would like your your comments on them as we go maintain your personal well-being mm, he was an athlete I, he the secret service would just be exhausted at the end of the day he, <laughs> he'd get up and go jogging then he'd play tennis then he'd play golf then he'd go jogging again then he'd go out on his boat if he was in kenny bunkport and i mean they were like stop stop <laughs> and then every now and then he'd actually sign a bill or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, i gotta go in there <laughs> But I mean, he was really well. He fit, which I think may, must have frustrated him those last couple of years when he, uh, when he uh, could, it had a, he was in a scooter chair and then uh, ultimately a wheelchair. And he would how, how old was he when he passed away? Ninety four. Yeah, 94. yeah, he was ninety four. Yeah, I knew he was, he was up, up there because he what was it like eighty uh, nine when he did his last parachute jump or something? Ninety. <laughs> Good night. You got to be have have uh, good physical fitness at ninety to jump out of an airplane. It's funny because uh, when he was eighty, he did he did that also, and it was uh, he invited Mikhail Gorbachev to jump with him. And Mr. He wasn't going to give Gorbachev a parachute. Mr. Gorbachev said, no, no, but I'll be on the ground to greet you. I'll I'll be waiting for you. He was. So when Bush landed, Gorbachev was right there on on the big target mark with a bouquet of flowers and a bottle of vodka. To see if he had gone up there and they had pushed him (laughs) off, he'd have had to drink that vodka on the way down. (laughs) And then we all went into the tent for a big barbecue, and I turned around, and there is Mikhail Gorbachev dancing with Barbara Bush to the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> and I said, "There's what? That's great. What a great story. <laughs> that is very funny. Yeah, but I could see you saying to, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev, because he, he, he did not look like he was like the, the fittest guy in the world there. You know, but well, compared to the current guy who likes to go shirtless everywhere. And- <laughs> but, but... 
Bush taught him how to play horseshoes up at Camp David. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Got that a horseshoe story for you that involves St. Louis. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was was a, a frequenter, and there was a horseshoe pit at the White House in the back. So I got the idea uh, to get one of the Clydesdale horseshoes sets and have them chromed and have those hanging for Arnold to, to use when he came. <laughs> and Huggy, I need bigger horseshoes. Hucky <laughs> <laughs> Bush made that all possible. I've got all the correspondence wow, on that, and that cool. was kind of fun. I carried that in my luggage, and I imagine whoever went through my luggage wondered <laughs> what in the heck were these two Clydesdale horseshoes yeah. doing. <laughs> now, I liked the story about that you said about uh, George H.W. Bush and what happened when you left your coffee cup. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, four months after he got back to Houston after his presidency, the country of Kuwait wanted to celebrate him and thank him for freeing them from Saddam Hussein. So they sent a 747 uh, for him and his family to come over, and they celebrated. And they, he, uh, they had all kinds of events and parades. And they invited people over there in Kuwait to, to give gifts. So people would open their cupboards and get some, one of their favorite things and, and write a note. And Long story short, the, the plane coming back was full of gifts. So I had to spend the next couple of weeks logging it all, appraising it all. Actually had to return two Persian carpets because he had signed the embargo against Iran. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm working on this around the clock. and. And uh, I needed a scissors, so I went around to my office to get a scissors. And when I came back, my coffee cup was gone. And it, the con conference room was right next to the kitchen. And I heard somebody in the kitchen. I went in, and there's the former leader of the free world washing dishes. And he looked at me and he said, what, what would you like in your coffee now? And it was ever the servant, ever the servant. I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. but. No, there's something so right with this picture. Yeah, what was what was Camp David like? It's it's built as this retreat, you know, in in the mountains. It and is, and I can describe it. I was never there. That was okay. one of my regrets, as okay. I never got to actually go there. Um, but yeah, it was a wonderful getaway retreat, um, secure, run by the Navy. Oh, the the Navy, the cooks were incredible in the White House mess and up at Camp David. Yeah, wonderful. And they always carved food so beautifully. Yeah, I've got wonderful pictures of that. Our tax dollars would work. <laughs> That's right. well, well, you know, there there is a certain, I guess, uh, expectation that mm. you're just not going into, you know, Joe Blow's house and, you know, throwing some slop on the everyday wear. And, yeah. Yeah. No plastic on the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, if you get on, you, you, you peel your back, your backside <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah you pick the cushion up with you as you go. <laughs> so here's another one. Take the time to be appreciative and grateful. Oh, my. He wrote so many thank you notes. So many thank you notes. And uh, you've seen some of them. He, he would write the staff notes and thank them for doing their job. And they weren't long notes. No. It doesn't take no. a long time to do that, but it takes time to think about doing that mm. so it becomes an everyday or a normal kind of mm -hmm. thing where you've got a stack of these things you pull it out you see something you write it down mm -hmm. and you and you give it never well, isn't it now we, we can only we can do it in 40 characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah right <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> 40 characters oh yeah i don't think he would have he would have uh yeah limited no. himself to that so. no i don't think yeah. so <laughs> learn to be unselfish and generous with your goods your time your uh, understanding and your experience 
He got that from his mom. Uh, as a matter of fact, he got a lot of those principles. Things he learned from his parents became a part of his life and really changed the world. And, you know, learning to learning to forgive and be slow to judge. I mean, I'll, I'll just never forget the many ways that that came out in his life. He he wrote uh, he journaled a lot and and when he went to Hirohito's funeral here he had been shot down in World War II and Hirohito you know that turned out right and and he sat there at the funeral forgiving him in his heart for World War II I mean I, it it was just incredible yeah it says here don't don't forget to include the little guys always the little guys. I, uh, Boy, that needs to be said again today yes. in today's world. Don't forget the little guys, the folks that put you there, right? Yep, yep. Uh, after after uh, the swearing-in ceremony when he was going to get on the plane to go back to Houston, Clinton had been sworn in, uh, he spent that last plane ride, I was on that plane ride, uh, giving tours to anybody who had never been on Air Force One. Took him up to the cockpit. I mean, the little stewards. And... The, that's how he spent his last plane ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's he was always looking around to see who wasn't being taken care of. So mm-hmm. it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, now this is now, folks. I'm reading from a four-page list, and these and are, I put that together. Yeah, and and Jan put this together of uh, George H. W. Bush's life principles. Here's another one: Be slow to judge others, extend lots of olive branches, and learn to forgive. You kind of yeah. mentioned that. Yeah. Respond with caring, compassion, and concern to those in need. Yeah. Oh my! I love this. Let concern reach beyond our backyards and our benevolence beyond our borders to embrace all of mankind: the homeless, poverty, hunger, the environment, and the disabled. Mm. And this this next one is, I think, a core principle: live by the basics of integrity. Of course, you have to understand what the basic meaning of integrity is. Mm-hmm. But I want to read this, if this is all right. Deplore hatred, discrimination, <laughs> violence, and injustice. Mm-hmm. Stand against tyranny. Applaud goodness, decency, and fair play. Speak the truth. Uphold justice. Defend peace and freedom. Don't let negatives, fears, or criticism dictate your course. Do the right thing. Show grace under fire and take no counsel from your fears. Always weigh the options. Try to find a balance and know when to compromise. Politics versus friendships. Entitlements versus tax cuts. Dove versus hawk. Liberty versus license. Know your motives. Do what you do what you do to get something more or out of gratitude for what you have and stay flexible. And you know, everyone who knew him recognized these things in him. That's why the turnout at the funeral was so spectacular. I mean, it wasn't just the numbers of people, but it was the comments and the quality of the tributes and the eulogies. And uh, a lot of people, especially the younger kids, who didn't even know who this guy was, uh, saw that and said, wow, what, what was special about this, this guy? You just read a lot of it. Here's another one. Develop and practice other positive character traits and attitudes. Hmm. Build solid leadership skills. We've talked about this on the show a lot, Jan, mm. that what is really lacking, <clears throat> I have seen in every form of government, other institutionalized things, education, business, is really a lack of solid leadership, a lack of people who can take the reins of something and draw it and pull it together and move things forward. 
It just but, seems like nobody's willing to step up to the plate to accept responsibility. Right. But don't you think that leadership is an innate quality? You know, it's one that that training then brings out of you. But there's but it's got to be in inside of you from the very beginning, you know, and the, the tenants that you're talking about here, those have to be inside of you already already, you know, and then the ability to use it is what then uh, it brings to the forefront mm-hmm. and helps to develop it. But, you know, you've got to have it inside of you first. And the great men that I've known and had the privilege to work for, like Jack Hayford, uh, all have that within them. And, and they, yeah. de- they know how to delegate and encourage and, by example, lead. You know, they're not, nothing is beneath them. Uh, they, they do it, and then they lift you up to that point and, and show you how, and it's just a wonderful thing. As evidenced by washing the dishes. As evidenced by washing the dishes. Or by taking the stewards and showing them around Air Force yeah, One. Yeah. You know, it's never that somebody is beneath you because in, in – as I always have said in, in one of the books that I wrote, you know, the most important person in the corporation is the janitor. Right. And you don't realize yes. it until the day that he doesn't show up. Right. You know, and you're you're the one sitting in the in the john with no paper. <laughs> okay. That's, That's correct. All of a sudden, who bec- not the CEO. You don't oh. get on the phone and call the CEO and tell him to bring over a roll, you know. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's the difference, too, in relationships and friendships that you build of it being superfluous or of it being genuine. And when you genuinely care for someone uh they never forget it i mean they they have a they have you've given them a value uh that they don't get from a lot of other people and so many i mean the 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 people that wrote there were almost as many people that wrote condolences as wrote congratulatories um and Mm -hmm. the things they said were very similar um uh, how 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 their lives were changed and how they were lifted up Mm. and that's a great thing for us to strive to do Right. Not always think of ourselves and where where we want to go, but who we can take with us where we're going. So, now, what was Barbara Bush like? I have to ask that question. She was a don't get between her and her children, <laughs> but wonderful uh, and caring, and they were so in love to the end. Um, and she too was a letter writer, letter writer, and um, just caring. And and when. I told you when I saw their house where they lived, nothing fancy. And they here they had lived all over the world. They had been in China. And mm-hmm. It was all like little chenille bedspread and little slippers under the bed. And I mean, everything was just so cozy and down to earth, just down to earth. That's good to hear. I mean, that oh, was my impression of her. I know? have to tell you this story. <laughs> I asked her, they were in Kennebunkport. I was staying in their house. Could I... Could I have a dinner party? I had to ask her permission. Well, of course. Well, I had one of their sons over and his wife and some people from the office. Pulled out all the stops, had a great dinner. Broke a wine glass in the dishwasher while I was cleaning up. And I thought, oh, I've got to replace this. So I went around to Neiman Marcus. I went to all these places. And one of the ladies in the fancy store held it up. And she said, this is from Crate and Barrel. (laughs) So I went to Crate and Barrel to, with the broken glass to buy a new one. And she said, oh, I remember when Barbara came in here and bought those. She wanted something she could throw at George. Oh, that is too funny. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. And then I, I was still cleaning up. About two weeks later, I took the tablecloth off, and there were watermarks all over her wooden dining oh. room table. So I 
got on the uh, uh, on the phone and asked people what to do, and they said toothpaste and ashes and mayonnaise. You know, tried. I tried everything, and I finally thought I've got to have somebody professionally refinish this table. So I called a furniture guy, and he came out with his toolbox, and he re- refinished the whole table. He found out whose house it was, and he didn't charge me. So that was good, but at least it was repaired. Well, at my going away party, I told this story. And Barbara Bush said, honey, those watermarks have been there for years. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh, no. (laughs) Thanks for refinishing the table for us. She is like so nice. I've been wanting to do that for 45 years. (laughs) That happened the the Thanksgiving dinner in 1952. Yeah, that George. I remember when he did that. funny little boy (laughs) here's another one of these principles uh grasp the awe of american freedom remember what it cost other Mm. americans be proud of what they paid for and be willing to do your part amen yeah and lastly you have what would we do without faith family and friends oh (laughs) i heard that i I can't even imagine to be honest with you you know you're right without faith family and friends you know, life would be pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be pretty bleak. And I think that it's what helps people to heal, you know, as we get older, the importance of faith, family, and friends becomes even more a part of who we are. Why do you think that is, Ellie? Well, first of all, we feel we figure that if we don't get it right now, you know, those last 30 years, <laughs> we're going to go down in flames. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think what it does is it gives us a chance to reflect. We reflect on... Mm-hmm all that we've gone through. We Mm -hmm. reflect on all of the people that we've known, you know, and you see how different people's lives have played out. And you, and again, with you in faith-based situations, you look and you get a chance to see those who really lifted up the Lord versus those who lifted up themselves, you know? And so you have those things to look at, you know, but then you also, you know, just are able to, to, to kind of put it all together, mm-hmm. pull it all together, you know, just like if you were to write the book, mm-hmm. you could pull it all together and your book would be called, I've Got Another Funny Story, <laughs> you know, because then you think about all of those fun things. Well, you know, when the book's going to be written is where we get, we're going to spend an eternity learning how God's pinball machine worked on earth. His ways are so much higher than ours. And when we he bounces us off of each other, he's bouncing us off of each other today. And the results of all of those bounces are going to be a constant source of blessing to us when we get there. It's just going to be, I could have had a V8. I mean, how wonderful was that? I couldn't have thought of that. Thank you, Lord. And then we're going to fall down at his yeah. feet. And you do think about things that happen. I mean, I often reflect back on just this radio station and how if I had done the things that that I had wanted to do at the time when the Lord says, no, we're getting ready to return you back to St. Louis, there would have been no radio station. Mm, You know, my husband and I, we were going to go, we were headed off to Palau. That was our next stop because we were living in Panama. So we're getting ready to go to Palau. And then my husband gets a diagnosis. You've got cancer. Oh, no. Pack up, Mm. end of journey, head back home. And get back here and find out there's the opening for the radio station. Mm. You know, and so you look at all of that and, you know, the Lord says, okay, my plan was for you to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes, you thought you were going to do that. But my plan was for you to do this. 
And when you can turn around and see that, see his hand on that part of your life, it gives you the the faith and the trust to trust him in all things so that when the next storm comes, you just wait for the silver lining because you know it's there. You know that he's got some reason. And when you can't see it, don't have to know it anymore because you just know that's the way he is. It's just getting to know him better. That is very true. I agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Because then you realize that, like you said, it's not about you. You are just the vessel that is being used to to make all of this happen. Because I think about about Arnold. You know, I didn't really know Arnold. Um, I think I met you because I interviewed you when you were running for school board. Running for school board. And we didn't really even have a radio station at that time. You know, I was just kind of like doing it out of my computer. And then and post it on SoundCloud. Post, that's right. And posting it on SoundCloud. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you know, and that's how meeting so many wonderful people, it has happened that exact same mm-hmm. way. You know, didn't didn't know Chris, and then all of a sudden, you know, Chris was moving to St. Louis and was looking for a little bit of something to do. You know, to keep him from being bored and get you know keep him out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> And now, you know, I mean, he's like the most invaluable person here, you know. And so everything happens in a certain way. And, you, you know, it's like as long as you know that you're following God's plan, he'll bring it all to you. And he does even when we don't ask for it. You know, <laughs> we have not because we ask not. We should be asking for every little thing. He loves that. He would love that. Yeah, ask me for it. I'd love to give it to you. And, you know, when, when you see him do things that you didn't even ask for, that's even more remarkable. Just, you just have to recognize it. That's the you thing. Have to you have it. to recognize it and then be able to, to be thankful and grateful for it. And that's why when I'm listening to the statements that you were reading about gratitude, that seems to be such a core, you know, to, to what um, President Bush was, was, mm. was about. You know, that they were grateful for the opportunity that they had. Mm. Because as I said, too much that is given, much is required. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you think about how many people have a lot mm-hmm. and then what they've done with it. Well, thankfulness is a, is a trait that you really have to learn. You know, there's not a lot of people who are yeah, thankful or, or being generous is something mm-hmm. you have to learn. And I think a lot of it comes from in a response to what you've been given and how you should be thankful for the things you've received and the benefits. You know, I remember when you were talking, Jan, it reminded me of a statement that I've made several times is we need to take God for who he says he is, not for who we think he is. Mm. And if we got that part of that statement together – we might have different attitudes mm-hmm. towards other people and, and towards the things that he's blessed us with. And thankfulness is a discipline, really. Yes. Uh, I learned it from Jack Hayford, it, to be able to praise and thank him, even for the bad things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's, that's a tough one. It's, it's hard. Yeah. I often read Paul, and I think about all the things that Paul went through. Oh, my. You know, and, and that last, uh, that boat ride that he took... <laughs> Uh, from Malta, and I think about what he had gone through, what he had to go through. Most people at that point would have just said, "You know what? No. I'm not getting paid enough for this. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm done with this one." You know, and and mm. we do have to look at the fact that you know that God gives us things, and and He doesn't give it to us in a smooth package. You know, He doesn't give it to us all fixed up, and all we have to do is just present it. But He helps us in our own personal growth as a result of, mm. of being a part of Because he that. wants us to grow in our relationship with him. With him. It reminds me of two songs. The storm is passing over. 
you know, the storm is yes. passing mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. And another one is peace in the midst of the storm. That's it. Mm. So, so whether so we know the storm's going to pass over, but there's peace in the midst of that storm that's going to pass over. Like if you want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, you have to go through the valley to get there. You just can't leap over there. And a lot of people don't like going through the valley. Yeah. Preach, Pastor Arnold, preach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're talking to Jan oh. Burmeister. <laughs> And she has had a big life adventure and continues to have that life adventure. And I think, Jan, where I want to go in this last half hour is ask you, and I'm kind of prompting you to think about this while we're on break, is what are some surprises that surprised you along the way, especially with the bushes or being in D.C.? Uh, And what are some things that maybe took you back, Mm -hmm. shocked you? Um, there, everybody, you know, everybody's human, and I'm not looking for the deficiencies here necessarily, but uh, stories that give insight into a greater character of them as a family or as individuals, but also as or or the entire DC scene. And we've kind of talked about oh, that—that yes. you have to have your act together and you're mm-hmm. squared away. Otherwise, you can kind of, mm-hmm. you know, really lose things pretty quickly. We don't want to lose you, folks. So stay tuned. This is in tune with Arnold and Ellie. Listen to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. <laughs> Welcome back to the Rug Cutters on In Tune. <laughs> hey, we, we were dancing it up here. Yes. Cutting this, a rug. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We're talking to Jan Burmeister. I asked Jan before the break, disappointments or wows or... Surprises <laughs> that you found years. along the way over the years. Well, I think in DC in general, I I couldn't have lasted there forever because uh, there's a lot of waste. We all know that, and I, it's a mentality. Uh, and there are, are people that try to rein it in, and they're not very successful. Uh, I think because there are so many resources there, and people just don't know how to be good stewards of them. I'll never forget. I used to just cringe every time I looked in a wastebasket because people would throw documents in there and leave the paper clips on. It's so true. one time in the West Wing, one evening I stayed late, I went around to every single wastebasket and I pulled all the paper clips and I counted them. And then from my statistical analysis days at the postal headquarters, I did a formula and came up with a savings of $56,000 a year if people wouldn't throw paper clips in the wastebasket. Our tax dollars at work. <laughs> there you go. I mean, but that's significant. That's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you start to add that up and then you go. But nobody go to, takes the time to do that. Right. But then you go to rubber bands. And then you just go to pieces of paper that are wasted. Right. You right. know, like you scribbled something and it's like, oh, uh, and then yeah, you toss it. Look at this. No. All my stuff's on no. the back of previous stuff. Good. My, and you see, I, when I make Good. copies, I make them on both sides. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And then surprises, fun, good surprises. They had something every Memorial Day called Rolling Thunder in Washington, D.C. And I'll never forget, it was about 35 years ago, I I was eating at a a rooftop restaurant in downtown D.C., and I heard this roar. And we looked over the side, and there must have been like 3,000 motorcyclists, and they were cutting through the city. And and I said, what is that? Well, that's a veterans group, and they're called Rolling Thunder. And every every year they come through to draw attention to POWs and MIAs. 
Well, long story short, over the years, that thing grew, and people came from all over the country. The last one I was at, there were 475,000 bikers. Good night. And they could no longer ride through the city. They had a specific route. But they the only place big enough to stage that is the Pentagon parking lot. So I decided I wanted to go down there, and they start gathering at 6 in the morning, and they don't start parading till noon. So I had six hours to just go down and experience the sea of wonderful motorcycles. So I'm walking around down there, and I see these white tents. And there's a sign on the white tents saying Christian Motorcyclists Association. And they were handing out free water and snacks, and they were praying with people, and they were blessing bikes. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. So I started talking to them. <clears throat> and over, over the course of three years, I started housing them and having them over to dinner. I had a lot of Harleys in my – it was wonderful. Anyway, um, when I came back to St. Louis, they said, why don't you join? Well, I don't have a bike. If you can pray – and volunteer, you can join. And in order to wear their colors, you have to pass a 12-week ministry training program. So I did that. I've got the leathers now. I was going to say, you got a leather jacket. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And and, (laughs) and they they go to secular uh, biker things. They go to Sturgis. They're at all of them. And they do the same thing. They just volunteer. And they're servanthood. And they pray with people and bless bikes. And uh, they'll, they'll do it at a gas station. When they when they spot, they'll go over and start talking bikes, and before you know it, uh, they'll put their arm around somebody. And I mean, yeah, it's it's they they're 160,000 members worldwide. Wow! And they raise five million dollars a year for missions, and it's split four ways between the Jesus Film Project mm-hmm. and Missionary Ventures, which is uh, they provide jungle transportation to missionaries. Uh, Brother Andrew, Open Doors, and then evangelizing the secular biker community. It's wonderful. Wow. <laughs> that kind of gives me chills, you know, just first yeah. of all, just to even think about the numbers of bikers because you don't really think about those kind of numbers, 475,000 right. bikers converging into one right. area. First of all, to me, that's a little scary because yeah. what we see in the movies again when it comes to bikers mm. are more of the Hells mm. Angels kind mm-hmm. of guys that are mm-hmm. coming in there to shoot the place up. Oh, no, they really respect these guys. As a matter of fact, they hold them accountable. Um, one of the their evangelists was in a restaurant, and one of these big burly bad guys came in, and he had one of the, our back patches, and he threw it on the table, and he said, "I found this on a guy in a bar, and he was drunk. He's not one of you," and he ripped off his colors. Mm. So yeah, Gee. <laughs> amazing. But that was a nice surprise, a nice uh, outcome to to just meet those folks and be able to bring that that experience back to Missouri with me. What is it like when you're around the career employee? You know, the people that are there regardless. And I know that there are a lot at the top that, you know, they get thrown out with the bathwater. Right. But then there are those that stay there from one regime to the next. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's really what it is, one regime to the next. And how do they handle that? Well, it's interesting. uh, Everybody handles it differently. Um, And we were talking in in the break about career employees or government employees in general. Um, I'm going to give a percent here, and I don't know if anybody's going to disagree with me, but probably 30% are on fire and love their job and can't wait till the next day, and the rest are just kind of watching the clock and collecting a paycheck. And they do what they have to do to get by, but they take all their vacation. And they and it, that's another uh, source of waste I didn't like seeing. 
But um, you, you don't have to look at that. You just have to make sure you're there doing your job and doing it for the right reasons. And that's you just have to focus on that. That is amazing. But when you say 30%, I mean, that's a pretty low number. I don't know how that ranks in terms of people in corporate America. Oh, yeah, I don't know. You know, but that's a pretty low percentage when you think that only 30% are really on fire for doing their job. I can tell you in the publishing industry, it's about 30, 72. 37. Wow. <laughs> also, wow. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, no wonder it takes so long to get things now, done. It huh? was different. When we, when we started Homeland Security... It was different because that was a new project. Well, people had all there was a reason, and bringing twenty-two agencies together was a real experience because everybody had their own way of doing things. And I was in charge of the lexicon for Homeland Security, and you had military, civilians, law enforcement, politicos, all using the same words and meaning different things. So we had lawyers from the agencies knock down drag outs over definitions of terms because based on the outcome of the term definition, they had to go back and rewrite all of their manuals. So when the doesn't mean the. (laughs) (laughs) Or is, is. Is, That's right. Is, is. is. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's that's the big thing. It's kind of always been a bugaboo of mine and I guess a soapbox is, man, people just need to do their jobs, period. And I don't know. I can speculate as to why, but it was never something that was an issue with me or for me was to you do it, you do it right, or don't do it all. Mm -hmm. You know, don't sign up for it unless you're going to do it and do it correctly. And if I don't know how to do it correctly, you find out what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do. What are the things? A lot of people, they don't like people pushing work too hard because then more will be expected out of them. Or, well, if you were able to do this, then you, then you can do that all the time. Or look at this person. They're really going gung-ho. Why aren't you doing that? You know, it's taken four or five of you to do this, and this person just did that by themselves. But I see this in the media, uh, not the media in general, but I, I read about it or hear about it that – certain situations happen because people are really not basically what i'm getting out of it is they're basically not fulfilling their responsibilities that they had agreed to Mm. and they're they're falling short in the expectations of what they're doing and nobody's holding them accountable i.e the lack of leadership because good leadership will hold people accountable Mm -hmm. and then too you know i think that when you start to look at the whole concept of mindfulness and thoughtfulness as well you know there has to be something within you first Mm -hmm. of all Mm -hmm. that makes you want to get up and just go and do and be the best that you can absolutely be Mm -hmm. and you know i mean it goes down to every level of job you know you think about um think this is a good example think about the people that come around and collect your trash every week Okay, it seems like a job that, eh, you know, that's certain people do that kind of a job. But what if they did that job sloppily? What if when they dump your trash that papers fly all out and they leave them all over the... You'd read about it on Community Connect. (laughs) That's right, exactly. Or read about it in the Webster Kirkwood Times. That's right, exactly. And the letters to the editor. But, you know, that would make a difference in how you view that person. And so we never think of them doing this great job because after they leave, guess what? There's no trash on the streets. The trash cans are put back. They're orderly and everything is good. It's when they don't do their job and and you walk out and half your trash is still on the curb... Yeah. That's when you look at it and you notice how important their job really is. You would think if if somebody couldn't be proud of the job they're doing, they should leave. But then there's the paycheck and the complacency and the comfort zone, you know. And I mean, 
it has to be, you're right, from inside you. It you, does have to come from if, there. If, if I weren't doing a good job or, or being proud of what I, the contribution I was making, I needed to move on. And how do you teach somebody that? Or you have a, a leadership that encourages people saying how important what they're doing is to the greater community. Mm-hmm. And that, that you know, it's like talking to a custodian. That you know, I remember talking to a custodian saying, you have one of the most important jobs of the school. And they looked at me crazy. I'm saying, you set the tone for learning and what happens mm. inside this building. If this building looks like a dump on the outside, the parents and the kids who show up, they're going to go, well, learning must, you're going to send it unconsciously. Learning's not right. important here because you can't even take care of the physical property. We don't keep our money in banks that look overgrown or look, you know, torn down we keep our money and that's why they keep them all looking nice well wow it must be really tight on security and really got their act together so if a school building looks tight and if schools the rooms look tight if the floors are clean and sparkle and the trash taken out there's no paper clips left on the (laughs) on the trash as they go in you know what i'm talking about because man when you miss that or the toilet paper roll's not there that's right that's a big deal people aren't going to be concerned about learning if i don't have enough toilet paper that's what they're concerned about and you know my basic needs are not being taken care of and, and think about when you went to school you know you think about all your teachers that you had and the principals and everything but i bet almost everybody remembers the custodian in their in their school you know, because and the cafeteria. And that's lady. right, and the cafeteria. And the secretary. Lady. That's right, because those people, you know, made a difference in many, many ways. That's right. Many ways. I mean, there were times when uh, I know that that out here, when young men would get into some kind of trouble or do something that was not right, it was a custodian. You know, says, uh, you know, uh, boy, come down here to the boiler room. <laughs> Let me talk to you, you know, and they would come out of there and they'd be straight, mm-hmm. you know, not the counselor, not the mm-hmm. principal, mm-hmm. you know, but well, the they were the counselor, <laughs> not in title, That's right. <laughs> but they were counseling. You know, I think about also using the trash example of how, and this, this goes back to some of the things about life being an adventure and some life principles, is that how inconsiderate it is of members of the community to expect the people who pick up the trash to do certain things because they're not putting the trash in it correctly or just leaving it laid out there on the right. on the lawn area for them to pick like you're you're going to pick this up you know there's certain requirements that they have for our trash and some people they they don't one of them is putting it in the trash can exactly not leaving it on the side of the trash can. Exactly. You know, yeah. Or you know, making sure the lid's closed. Or and let it not be beneath us to pick something up off the floor. Oh my gosh, are we supposed to do that? <laughs> I do that quite a bit. I just get a plastic bag and I go through my neighborhood for about two different blocks, you know, around my house, and I'll just pick up trash and pick up this and pick up that, you know, pick up you know cigarette butts, pick up papers that the old Webster Kirkwood Times that have been out there and the person has driven over them and they're wet mm-hmm. and mucky looking and you know because it's my whole neighborhood right and they're the custodians of the world may be at the head table in heaven i mean the mm-hmm. first will be mm-hmm. last and the last will be first we got to remember that you know when, when the leader is picking up trash other people will start doing following the example there you go. that is right I carry actually a little extra bag in my car because if I go around and I see stuff thrown on the, you know, I will stop Mm -hmm. and pick the stuff up right then and there. And I even saw a classmate the other day and he saw me do the exact same thing. I pulled around the corner and I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And I stopped and got my little trash can and he, he hollered out, you know, what are you doing over there? I said, just picking up trash. Because he had been out there previously with his (laughs) blower and blew it over on your property. (laughs) 
Oh, every time I see a, a styrofoam cup fly out somebody's window, oh, man. I don't know what to do. I, I'm angry. I don't want to, you know. Then who do you think's going to pick that up? Yeah, I want to speed up and go by them and say, "What are you thinking?" <laughs> I get behind them and, and give them the lip. <laughs> <laughs> so they're looking behind. Them. <laughs> Yes, it's true, though. But, you know, it it, it is good to see. It is good to hear that uh, there is a a nice, shiny, you know, level of of integrity and, and goodwill, you know, that comes out of Washington. Because, you know, we everything we hear is just horrible. Yeah, you're not going to hear the good stuff. Because mm. no. it because it doesn't make press. That's it. It doesn't you know it doesn't make it's not as much fun. I was just reading about that when they were talking about how the over in over in England how you know they're making the big fuss about you know that the Meghan Markle and and Prince Harry are flying in a jet you know but then the little thing about you know Prince Edward and the sexual scandal is kind of like well we we don't really <laughs> want to talk about that part of it but they got on a private jet you know the carbon footprint so it does kind of make it you know when you look at what people tune into i'm sure they'd say well you want us to fly on a paper airplane <laughs> <laughs> not gonna work not gonna work <sighs> speaking of uh, england i saw at uh, a big box store last night somebody was driving off and they had this big photograph of the queen in the back in the back window <laughs> and i stopped and i went and the Kill <laughs> a wave. I thought it was funny. How that was that. very funny. So Jan, thank you very much for coming on the show today. And it was my wow. pleasure. It was so much fun. It was. My goodness, you are just a wealth. I tell you, if you ever wrote the book, you didn't have to. Don't put down names, of course. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, to protect the half half guilty or half innocent, whichever way you look at it. But just funny stories, the anecdotes, the things that you have experienced have just been really beyond most people's wildest imagination mm. well it's uh it's been a blessing and again i n- didn't plan any of it so i'll be ever thankful to the lord for taking me in the many i wouldn't recommend this checkered life to anybody <laughs> because there's no there's no stability in it and certainly not a lot of uh um, financial security, but he's provided all along the way, and he knew he. I, I, like I said, we're going to spend an eternity, uh, and and I know that I'm going to meet people up there that say, you know what, uh, that day I sat next to you on the metro in D.C. and you, I mean, it was uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to put in one word uh, for something else that I learned. Absolutely. Uh, especially from President Bush. He started Points of Light Foundation, mm-hmm. and he said service to others must be a part of, of your life uh, to be successful. And so volunteering is is just something we all need to do. It, it should be a, a – we should carve it into our, our – daily schedules really um and and find something that you enjoy uh find find something that uh is a need in your community i've i've enjoyed uh, volunteering for st louis health equipment lending program they collect used medical equipment clean it up and give it to people that need it for free wow um i'm volunteering uh for a Christmas concert organization, and that's going to be fun. Um, and you meet the most wonderful people because everybody's got a giving heart, and um, it's it's something I would encourage everybody to do. Great. We appreciate you being here, Jan.